that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. Welcome to the Melfi and Prezzo show. I'm your host, Prezzo. And I'm your host, Melfi. Big dog, special guest today. We do. Looking forward to this one. Rebecca Sharp. Hi. How are you, Rebecca? I'm good. Um, now, Beck is a hypnotherapist, performance coach. Is that correct? Yeah, you're, you're on the <laughs> Just right track. briefly. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let you go into details a bit more about what you yeah, do in sure. that. Um, but yeah, excited to have Beck on and talk a bit more about the, the mindset behind weight loss, anxiety, depression, those touchy kind of topics. Mm-hmm. Go through everything. So, Beck. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, how you going? Good, good, good. Um, you're almost there. Close, so. I'm close. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, hypnotherapy is one of the modalities I use. So, yep, yep. Um, I'm a strategic psychotherapist. I work in sort of the behavioural mindset side of things, um, work a lot in mental health and, um, as you said, anxiety, yep. depression, that sort of thing. Uh, people with disordered eating, either eating too much or not enough. Um, yep, yep. People with addictions, food, food addiction as an example, but other, other sorts of addictions as well. Um, so that's what I do sort of in my own business, uh, which is the Sharp Mind. And then I also uh, moonlight it in another role moonlight. in learning. So I've worked in learning for about 15 years or so. So okay. I work with in adult learning, training and development and organisational development. So yeah. You're a busy um, woman. Yeah, I, I am. Um, coaching, hypnotherapy there. Um, they're more the processes I use, the modalities tools. I use. Yeah, tools when I'm treating people rather than yep. the actual role. Okay, awesome. How long have you been doing that for now? Uh, coaching, forever. So probably about 10 years. Yep, yep. And then the psychotherapy was just sort of a natural progression of that. And I started my own business doing that about a year ago. Yep. and. Well, a little more than a year ago, and then I went off to have a baby and yep, came yep. back, and here I am again. Now you're back into it. Yeah. So you've always been learning with adults? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and actually it's funny because when I was younger, when I was a kid, and even in my teens, I suffered a lot with social anxiety. Yep. And then um, I got onto a graduate program at the company I was working for, and they basically said, you're going to be working in HR and, oh, by the way, you're going to be training people. So you can imagine someone with social anxiety yeah, well. to have to stand up in front of, well, sometimes at that stage, 30-odd people. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, really challenging. And um, But the best way to get rid of my social anxiety, um, yeah. jump straight in. Yeah. Yeah. So is that pretty hard to overcome then? The anxiety, yeah. 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 I mean... I initially with that I sort of saw it as I don't know if you remember Beyonce she had her Sasha Fierce which was the so Beyonce was um, had um, anxiety around being on stage so she created Sasha Fierce which was her stage persona 
and every time she got on stage she was Sasha Fierce so I mean she doesn't do that anymore obviously yeah. but that was the same with me so initially when I was um, sort of jumping on stage if you like presenting or um, teaching whoever I was teaching I'd sort of created this persona as well and that was sort of my Sasha Fierce. And initially, I'd had things to help me around. Um, so I would, um, I'd anchored holding, holding on to something while yeah. I was presenting, and then I was able to let go of that. So it just became a natural progression. And yeah. um, now uh, it's my favorite place to be. Really? It's, it's, yeah, teaching. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just the most rewarding uh, job get to help people progress for a living and that's really cool it's like a hero's journey for you isn't it really <laughs> yeah that's yeah. what it is isn't it really yeah i mean it's the same as this you you might enjoy being here at a gym but ultimately you get to help people for a living and that's that's amazing 100%. it feels yeah. so cool no it's um pretty similar because i used to say to luke when we first started here i'm like been doing pt and working with like people and like even hospitality and like having one-on-one conversations with people about probably about like more intimate things and performance and like about struggles and and like having tough conversations with people. Mm. But then when I started in the group class environment, I was like, I'm talking just basic stuff to mm. know people, which isn't really hard. But I was like, oh, I'm not really comfortable talking in front of yeah. ten people, and so I sort of understand that you sort of just got to start doing it mm. um, yeah. to get to feel more comfortable with it. And I used to say one thing before, like. This little mantra before I start the session every time. I was like, <laughs> like uh, but now I don't even think about it. I only just thought about it till then. But it's also yeah. you get comfortable with people you're around. But it's like mm. mainly for everything. So when people walk into a gym or into a new environment, it's like, oh, I can't understand how people get nervous. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And also, there's different levels of conversation you're having with one person as opposed to a group of people as well. Yeah. You can be a bit more intimate, as you said. I remember when I had a PT, I think he knew more personal information about me than my husband did at, at some points. Yeah, 100%. Because you really yeah. dig in yeah. deep, and, and there's that rapport and relationship you have with that person that you can do with a group of 10, but there's only so many touch points you get and it takes a longer time to build up that rapport yeah, as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, 100%. Um, so I want to ask you your journey, like how your journey to becoming where you are today, obviously doing hypnotherapy and that kind of stuff and working in the space you are. Um, I mean, everyone has a story. Um, so we'd like to know your story. Yeah, sure. So there's a few things. I mean... When I was at school, I wanted to do, I wanted to be a psychologist. Um, and at that stage, sort of doing year 11 and 12, my family were going through quite a difficult point and um, I was a little bit lost in, in my own sort of troubles, I suppose. Yeah. And when I went to look at what I was going to do, someone told me, oh, you, you can't treat people for, um, you know their rubbish if, if you've got crap going on yourself and at that time I thought well all right I have a lot of, a lot of crap going on probably not the right thing for me as I've got older I've sort of realized everyone's a bit screwed up in their own way mm. and um, and that doesn't matter it actually helps but at that point I left that behind and just went and did a business degree um, I majored in tourism because I love to travel yeah. and I major 
uh, majored in events because I loved going to events, especially gigs. Um, yeah, and then I, I moved over to the UK for a little bit, got, um, ended up in the middle of nowhere in a little country town called Utoxida. I couldn't even pronounce it before I moved to the UK. And, what does um, that mean? Utoxica? Utoxida, yeah, it's in the Midlands. Um, so it's like it, it's a country? What was that? It's not a country. No. no, it's a little town oh, in, yeah, in yeah, England. Yeah. yeah, it's in the Midlands. It's in, in Staffordshire. And, um, and so that actually, uh, when I moved there, I ended up working in a theme park, um, Alton Towers Resort. So it's the UK's largest theme park. Oh, yeah. And um, yeah, cut my teeth there. As I said, got onto the graduate program for the company that owned them. Yeah. Moved into HR. And then when I was in learning, I realized, actually, I really love this. Um, so I've been working in learning ever since. And ma mainly, I do a bit of everything, but I've sort of specialized and developed in, in that leadership space. And I've been working in leadership for, um, well over yeah getting getting close to 15 years now makes me feel old um <laughs> yeah so along with that i studied coaching and various other things at the time and then i left a job a few years ago and when i did i decided to go part-time because i wanted to figure figure out what else i wanted to do the, all of that was really enjoyable and i was getting a lot of reward but I felt like when people were connecting with me and we were having one-to-one -one conversations about what was going on personally, I was getting a lot more joy out of those interactions and mm. being able to make a difference that way. So I revisited the psychology thing and did a little bit of looking and um, realized that I was more interested in that sort of strategic space, which... Um, a little bit different it's more focused on what are you doing what patterns are you running and then having a look at how do you fix and change those patterns as well because okay. everything we do is a pattern from yep. the way we get up in the morning and plan out our morning routine to you know whether we clean our teeth with our left hand or our right hand so everything that includes when we have eating um, eating issues when we're suffering from anxiety or we're doing anxiety or depression or any of the mental illness, uh, all of that is a pattern or a series of patterns. And I liked the idea of being able to break down those patterns and then work on them rather than talking about what, what had been, because I'd, I'd been mm. to psychologists myself and, um, and, I, and not everything works for every person. So, some people are going to really thrive in that environment. For me, I sort of felt like I was just sticking a, a knife in an open wound. Yeah. And I just wanted to finish talking about that and move on. How do I move on? And the yeah. best results I got was from moving on. So yeah, I went back and studied and, and here I am. In yeah. between that, I'd, um, I suppose, developed my own eating issues a few years ago and I found that that sort of therapy really was the thing that helped me get through that So you as were well. seeing, you were doing yeah, yeah. yourself? Yeah, I, I was working with someone else yeah. Who, yeah. who was helping me. Okay. She didn't actually do um, the hypnotherapy, but she was working again on the patterns. And, okay. Yeah. Um, that was that was really helpful for me. So, so like, obviously, we're taking, like, it's all patterns and behaviour, and obviously... Mm. 
people pick up habits, you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like you said with trainers, um, especially the mental side of things, that it's a prolonged period of time. Like obviously sometimes you, know, you wake up and you've had enough, you know, you've had the hit rock bottom, mm. That's a big sequence of events over time that have led to that rock bottom. Yeah, yeah. And do you find people like, it's almost like not a prolonged period of time before they come to you, it's like they're sort of on me to seek help. It's yeah. quite a quick journey to make the decision because it's been a long time coming. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're absolutely right. I think what happens is we create this habit and we don't notice we're doing it and every day we're doing it. It might be as simple as ruminating. So for example, people that have trouble sleeping often they're just ruminating they're thinking about the day and then that creates a lack of sleep they're doing it every night it's creating more um, sleep deprivation that's causing other effects around say anxiety or depression or whichever way they're doing it and then by the time they've figured out something's wrong they're halfway um, you know halfway down the hill so that's when they'll come and see me and we'll have a look okay so what have you been doing are you spending too much time thinking in your head and is that one of the patterns that you have to break or do you feel like you're out of control and do we need to get you to a place where you feel more in control so we just um yeah just look at all of those sorts of things and then um go from there typically with something like anxiety for example or um addiction food addiction or any other addiction they're always the same sorts of things that we do but we do them in different ways so some people might ruminate about work other people are ruminating about relationships people are doing it at home other people are doing it while they're trying to sleep and it's all all the same stuff in our own ways of doing it yeah yeah is it um do people open up that first kind of consultation with you or do you find it hard to really peel the layers back before they actually open up? No, I find it really easy to get people to open up. And I think because I love people and I've been working with people for so long and um, to your point, I I know the one-to-one conversation is is my favourite space. So yeah, typically people are really open. Sometimes people sit down and before I've even had a chance to even introduce myself they're off and my biggest problem I suppose as a as a um, professional is trying to keep people to their time limits because quite often I'll have people that just want to want to share and also because people are so used to a certain um, type of therapy where they might go see a psychologist and that's what it is they Mm. they talk a lot Um, you know it's it's a talk therapy so they might book in and see me and expect that that's what they're there to do yeah. as well. Yeah. Is this interesting? Do you obviously find with a lot of people like they look at that golden pill, like that one thing that's going to fix their issues, or or do they even know they've got issues? Obviously, they know something's wrong, but can they usually pinpoint whether it's a trauma in their past history, or it's a food addiction, or uh, it's addiction in any sort of type, in like a different space, you know? Because most people use your addictions to try to fill a void or something, you know, trying mm. to win or yeah. create, you know, serotonin or whatever it is. Mm. But it's usually all pretty similar. Yeah, they're craving something. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting question. So I, I approach things from a more gentle perspective around let's work on what you're doing. But some people do want to come in. I had a lady recently who said, I just want you to stop me eating after six o'clock. <laughs> 
<laughs> and initially I said, I don't really want to do that because the problem is you can't be flexible with that. What yeah. if you, you and your partner want to go out for a meal? What if you go to a wedding or a, whatever it might be? So we went through and had a look at the patterns that she was running and then she went, no, I just, I just want you to stop me eating after six o'clock. So we did, I did, I did a session with her and um, went really hard on that one just to knock out the eating after six o'clock. And, and at the end of the day, I can go in really hard. I, I, with her, I did um, visualizing herself as an ibis eating out of a bin. So every time she went to eat after six o'clock, she saw herself as a bin chicken, bin if chicken. you like. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, um, I connected in with her a few times and it seems to be working, working well, but the, the funny thing is, I can't get you to do anything you don't want to do. So yeah. it still became her choice. So some people want that magic fix. Um, they want that pill to just, um, you know, create that change. But mm. for most people, there's a lot of work to do. And I'll do the therapy with you in session. And then I'll give you a whole heap of stuff I expect you to do in between sessions as well. And all of those layers upon layers is what's going to get you to where you want to be. Yeah, journey not destination, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, while. exactly. Obviously, like um, like most coaches show a lot of empathy. Do you mean? And mm. they sort of take that on. Do you something you struggle with? Obviously, like when you're got a client, you can sympathise with them, and you know, you're empathist. Obviously, we're doing what you do. Mm. You care about people, and if you care about people. You couldn't do what you do, or yeah. you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be very good at that, to be honest. Yeah. Um, is it something hard for you to sort of disconnect sometimes? Yeah, I mean, the we talk about ourselves in strengths and weaknesses, but what's probably more accurate is our weaknesses are our strengths overplayed. So, for example, if you're a really empathetic person, then the way you overplay empathy is through sympathy. Now, when you're empathetic, you can take that step back, you can see and appreciate what's going on for them and you're still able to help them. But when you're sympathetic, then you're almost getting, it. yeah, you're getting in, if they're, if they're stuck in a hole, the sympathetic person would get in the hole with them yeah. so that they're not alone. But the problem is you've got two people stuck in a hole, yeah. whereas the empathetic person will see them stuck in the hole, will recognize that's not a great place to be. Let me get you a ladder or let me fix it in or help you help you get out. Yeah. So I think recognizing that, that's been hard for me because I do, um, empathy is, is definitely one of my strengths, but because of that, it's also one of my weaknesses as well. Yeah. So I've really had to learn um, not to separate myself, but just I'm no good for this person if they're in my office crying and I'm crying too. Yeah. So, and, and I get some, some of the stories I get, they're, they're, honestly, they're really shocking and mm. your heart does break for people, but you just have to remember what you're there to do. And yeah. I'm there to be able to get them out of that hole, not to, not to be Jumping in that in. hole with them. So, yeah, but it is, I mean, it's the same for you guys, I think. Um, and, and again, I remember when I had a PT and just some of the stories I would tell him and I would realize that he's getting that from every single person. Yeah. And the 
the tough part is you get fatigued, as you said, and then that's when it becomes sympathy. So to be that coach, you really have to look after your own mental well-being, give yourself the breaks, you know, give yourself the rest and recuperation and everything as well. So you can be at that right level for your people as well. It's definitely a hard, it's an easy trap to fall into, isn't it? Yeah, really, yeah. I think we we're, were actually only chatting about this the other day. Yeah. Um, about that kind of situation. How, and it's Mel was kind of saying, you know, like how he's, because he's such an emotional guy and, you know, he his clients, when they do reach, like reach out or like talking stories and such, he, it does affect him in a big way, you know what I mean? It kind of brings mm. him down. And then that's a domino effect, you know. Not what I mean? so, so it's no so bring me down. Not bring him down, yeah, but just wrong word. But yeah, you sort of you, sort of, you feel what they're feeling, and you want yeah, that, and you figure out how you know you want to you want to help them and you know take it on board, you know, and because mm. you care about your clients, like I generally care about yeah. my clients, like you know that's how you know, each member here, you know, we care about them, you know, we want them to be, you know, be happy, you know, yeah. as yeah. a coach, yeah. you have to be you off that day because you're a human first and you're a coach second, and if you can't yeah. be good human which is the main part of being a coach mm. doesn't matter what you teach him like teach him a squat it's got nothing to do with it like, I always say that PT he's got nothing to do with the exercise he's doing you gotta build him up top first yeah. with most people with yeah. most people yeah. like something like you know there's so many trainers that have so much knowledge you know so much knowledge like you know brainiacs so mm. they're terrible coaches because mm. they don't know how to connect with people yeah um you probably feel that in your industry too. There's probably guys with numerous... Yeah, yeah, it's like everything. It always amazes me when people jump into these people-centric roles, I suppose, whatever they are. And yeah. I've worked in HR for ages and I've worked with some people that just do not care, do not care at all, and they're in human resources roles. <laughs> yeah. They should be behind a computer. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Um, but to to your point, yeah, absolutely. And I think to some degree, you guys are therapists, really, because yeah. you build those relationships with people. They have high trust in that relationship with you. They share their most intimate secrets with you, mm-hmm. really. And um, often we think, oh, if we're not there in the ring with them, we're being, we're, we're failing. You know, we're failing. Yeah, yeah. We're, be, we're showing apathy, like we don't care, but you know, that person can be in the ring and you can be there ready when the whistle goes to, to be there for them. And I think that's how you need to treat it as well. And it's just a process and the more you're experienced at it, the more you just learn to not necessarily compartmentalize it, but just to take that step back so that you can be there to support them. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it, really? Yeah. Mm. it's. I mean, it's, as I said, it's something I've really struggled with from time to time. But as I've developed, I've, I realised where where my space is, where their space yeah. is. Oh, yeah, go, going on from there, I find, like, to really... Obviously, over time, you've got, like, a stronger and better relationship with people. But do you sometimes have to, like, like call people out and they're, they're bullshit, really? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, sometimes mm. I've had conversations with my clients. I'm like, you're not doing what you said. And you're talking crap. Or, mm. you know what I mean? I say, it honestly, yeah. I said, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And that's the reason why you're like that. I know it's probably different, like, different with you. You can't be <laughs> like that at the same time. But you yeah. always have to call them out sometimes. And go, look, yeah. you're not, you, know, you deserve to be happy. You deserve to be, you know, 
be the person you want to be. Everyone deserves to be that. Mm. But you've got to work for it. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Otherwise, they're wasting your, your, your time and energy and obviously money for them as well, really. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I find a lot with clients with addiction, they'll sort of scoot around and come out here and tell this little half-truth over here and then try and get away with things. And you, you're right, you just have to call them out. And at the, end of the t- at the end of the day, it is a waste of their money, first off. I mean coming to you know coming to a, a person like me i'm not i'm not with them for a year so it's not as expensive as going to a, a psychologist for example yeah. but it's a lot of money yeah but also it's wasting my time it's wasting their time and so sometimes you just have to be really tough and call them out i've had people who have come to me for quit smoking for example and they've been this close and they're just holding on and I'll be like, mate, you're, um, you're one cigarette left. Why do you even bother? Why would you bother having one cigarette a day if you've got rid of all the rest? Or, you know, pe- people that um, yeah. might see- secret eat or, or whatever it is. Or they'll, they'll blatantly lie and I'll know they're lying. And, yeah. yeah. Well, it's self-sabotaging, mm. isn't it? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, like I love. Yeah, it's a lot of stories. Like they've got actually believe they deserve. Yeah. Deserve to be that person mm. they want to be. Um, yeah. That's probably something you've probably got to work on a lot, mm. isn't it? And there's a difference between the person that is just not do, doing the work, not putting in, and not making that change because they're not doing it, and the person that just can't let go. So that person that can't let go of that last cigarette, then you will ask the question, what's that cigarette doing for you that you can't do for yourself? But this person here that's, you know, just, I don't want to let go or I'm not doing the work. Because I'll give, I might give them three or four things to do between sessions. And I'll say, have you listened to your recording? Oh no, sorry, I'm too busy. Well, you don't need to apologize to me. You need to apologize to you because you're the one not getting the results. Um, Mm. And that's the person you call out. Yeah, it's comfortable sometimes it just is, being yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. being a rut. It's easy, you know. It's, yeah, it's a lot harder to get out of it for a lot of people. Yeah. But also, a lot of people will come to someone like me or you, thinking that you're the one that's going to change them. So, uh, there's only so much I can do in an hour a week, whatever time they give me. At the end of the day, you can come to the gym for a few hours a week, but it's what you do in in the other yeah. hours that matter. Yeah. And um, and yet they'll they'll still put the control in your hands, not in theirs. So just giving them back that control, um, you know, re- reconnecting with their own control, and just um, allowing them to let go of this this connotation or this notion that you're in control of their results as well. Because well, firstly, they're never going to get the results. You're not in control of their results, but also that can then damage your brand. So if you're not calling it out and they're then going to everyone else and saying, I didn't get the results, then that becomes your problem as well. Yeah. So you just have yeah. to be careful with it. Do you find often the case is like, do you mainly coach males or females? Mixture? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I thought I would be, I. Th- 
I thought I wanted to focus on females and I thought I would be getting more females, but actually it's the other way around. It's mainly men. I, I would say now about 70%, 70% men. And then most of the issues with men the same? Is it more the depression side of things or? There's a lot of anxiety. And what happens is they do anxiety for so long that it becomes exhausting and, it, and that leads into depression. So you've got the sort of two sides of the coin there. Um, addiction um, is another big one. Uh, smoking linked with gambling or, or drinking linked with gambling or yeah. those sorts of things. Uh, with women, it's a lot more of the um, eating. Eating's a big body one at the moment or as well. Body image? You yeah, body, body image? image, overeating, I want to lose weight. Um, Again, a lot of people that want to lose weight, there's, there's a disordered eating or um, a poor relationship with food that needs to be tackled as well. So the, the example I gave you about, um, you know, a person who might want to stop eating at a certain time, mm. again, there might be something that you need to work on there as well around that. Uh, and then I work with a lot of kids as well. So mm -hmm. a lot of behavioral issues with kids. Um, so many young people with anxiety, which is so incredibly sad because yeah. when I was a kid, all I wanted to do was, you know, play cricket or football or whatever it was with, with my friends. I, I didn't even know, um, you know, so, so many young people are talking about ending their life. I didn't have any concept that I wasn't going to live forever as a, as a young person. So, yeah. Do you find social media has a big impact with that? Yeah, I mean, depending on their age. So the real young kids aren't on social media, but there's definitely gaming addictions uh, are a huge thing with kids as well. Um, I think it's that coupled with developing sort of into our natural teenage changes plus, um, you know, we are a 24-7 news nation now, and it's all bad news constantly, mm, constantly. Yeah. So there's all of that. Um, family dynamics sometimes are coming into play. And of course, our, um, our parents' generation, or you know, parents' generation, even me, I'm, I think I'm 18 years out of school now. Um, it's a totally different world mm. now than what our kids are facing. You mentioned social media. I didn't have to think about how I looked when I went to school in the morning. I just went to school and yeah. um, did did what I did. Nowadays, it all matters how you look um, more than more than anything. So that becomes a, another issue as well. Then we're following all these people that are really uh, unhelpful to yeah. our mental health. And then we've got the fact that we're on computers constantly and we've got this, um, yeah, the, these addictions to our devices as well that we never had as kids as well. So there's a whole heap of things going on with kids. Um, lo lots of sort of behavioral issues, lack of focus, hyper-focus, all of that sort of thing as well. Can't focus on what we need to focus on, really hyper-focused on our um, PCs and games and social media. It probably doesn't help that all schools now are pretty much implemented 
laptops are part of the curriculum. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah like, exactly. Back gone to the days of actually writing down with a pen and paper. Yeah. yeah. It's all typing now. You know what yeah. I mean? So. <laughs> It's funny because I don't, I like to think I'm not very old, but <laughs> I think about when I first had a laptop and, um, and I, I got my first laptop in year six and it was the first of the coloured laptops for school. Mm. The girls that had them, I went to an all girls school, the girls that had them from years gone by all had black and white ones and I thought, wow, check this out, colour <laughs> laptop and, and year six and now as you said, Kids are learning how to type before they're learning how to write almost, which is yeah, yeah, scary. Different world. So mm. when you when you talk about the young kids, how all those kids are saying they want to end their lives, you know, touchy subject. But yeah. They below ten or yeah, so early early teenagers or preteen. Um, when it comes to behavioural things, it's even eight year olds or. Younger. So where does that come from? But if they're not like TVs, that from the the parents obviously, it's yeah. come from like. Does that come from? Does they feel that way? This, you know, is it? It's chemical imbalance from a young age. But you know, for a young person to say that, like mm. 10, 11, 12, you know. Yeah, I mean, the, again, mm. there's just so many different Trauma. factors. It could be bullying. It could be um, home relationships. Uh, an overwhelming pressure to excel or um, or and again this might not come from anyone else they might just have it intrinsically within them that they have to um, achieve something mm. um, perfectionism is such a, a big issue and it's been my issue for a lot of a lot of my life as well um, yeah relationships at school and all of that sort of thing and just the fact that people are aware of it as well, because people can go to it because they know it exists. As I said, when I was, um, you know, eight, nine, 10, 12, 13, I don't think I had a concept that I wasn't going to live forever. There was such a thing as yeah. taking my own life or any of that sort of thing. So really, I think because people are aware of it, they, u they use it or they know it's there to, to be used as well. Mm. Obviously, like so many people's behaviours, you know, talking about children, fast forwarding, like people, adults, they develop all their patterns of behaviour when they're, when they're children, obviously, mm -hmm. yeah. and you probably know that. But then how do they, do they realise they develop that from like, like a young age? Or are they mm -hmm. like, oh, I don't know where I got that from. And they you start playing back the layers in like, you know, 10, 15, 20, or even longer. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. when I was five, six years old, remember this and remember that? Is that yeah. what all happens with most kids? Yeah, so... Almost adults, sorry. Adult, yeah. yeah, so I think with adults, what we'll typically do is, because we'll, humans are meaning-making machines, we'll always try and source meaning out of anything, whatever it is. So if we're running anxiety, we will try and find meaning to that as well. And we'll go, oh, you know, this happened when I was this age, or this happened when I was that age. And we'll go back to that. Yeah. So for me, it's my job to sort of say, well, you're not that person that you were at that age. And just because that happened there doesn't need to impact who you are now. So let's let's change that. Yeah. And people need to honor that learning process as well, because it might have taken you 20 years to learn whatever it was. 
But you can always unlearn. Just because you've been doing something one way doesn't mean you can't change it. So whatever you've learned, you can always unlearn. It might just feel a little bit clunky at the start. You know, if I were to ask you to write with your wrong hand, that would feel weird for a while. But soon enough, you're going to get used to it. The way people come unstuck or the way they do find themselves getting stuck is they don't honour that learning process. So it feels clunky. People, um, you know, might not like the feeling of being uncomfortable. They might not like to sit with discomfort for very long. So then they go and they look for ways to self-soothe. So, for example, with um, food, it might just be that you are so used to getting up after dinner and going and eating something. I, I know this is something, um, a pattern I've fallen into as well. Mm. And, um, and we think we're addicted to it and we think we're craving it. And the reality is we're not necessarily craving that, it's just become a habit. So you might sit there and think, oh, I'm really craving that chocolate. If you were to sit there for five minutes, that feeling will pass, but there's that discomfort, oh, I really need that chocolate and it's on my mind and I'm ruminating about it and I'm thinking about it and that's where my, I'm focusing my attention. Can't sit with that, that discomfort, have to go self-soothe, so I go and have that chocolate. Yeah. And so people get stuck because they then go, oh, that's just a, a way I'm doing things, I've done it forever, started off here, I can't change it. Whereas we can change it. And the whole idea about, um, you know, feeling like I have to have that chocolate, I've got that craving, for example, it's only a craving because that's where we're turning our attention to. So whatever we focus our attention on is going to be the biggest thing. It's going to seem really loud inside us, whether it's a feeling, whether it's a sound that's outside or whatever it is. So if I said to you now, can you feel any movement in your left foot? You'll probably be able to feel something. You might feel a tingling or you might feel a heat or a coolness but having not thought about it for, for however long, it's just not there to you. So wherever you turn your attention gets bigger. Yeah. And, um, and so people think it's a craving. It's not a craving, it's just the way they've been doing it. Yeah, it's funny, yeah. yeah. Like dessert, yeah, I used to always having dessert. Even like last night, I was like, went to eat dinner. I was like, oh, actually not hungry. I actually ate enough during the day, so mm. I'm not gonna eat dinner tonight. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's patterns of behaviours, yeah. Makes a lot of sense. 100%. And it's so funny as well because, so I do intermittent fasting and I'll fast till midday and then eat till about, um, or about 7.30 because my daughter goes to bed at seven. And um, from that time I finish eating until midday, I barely give food a second thought. Like, it does not even enter my mind. Occasionally, because I'll get up at, say 5.30 and try and do something before my daughter gets up. So if I've worked really hard, I might feel a little bit, bit of hunger, but generally nothing. The minute I start eating at midday and that window's Starting. open, it's like, yeah. oh, I want this, I want bang, that. Bang, yeah. So it's not in your mind, you're not focusing on it, you don't need it, but the minute you're focusing your attention on it, that's it. Yeah. So interesting. How are you finding fasting? Uh, I really like it, Enjoy, actually, yeah. yeah. It's en energy levels and so forth pretty good? Yeah, I mean, 
I, I, it's funny, I was talking to a friend about this. I felt like my energy levels had dipped this week, but I would say it's not the fasting, it's I'm just doing too much. I realise I've got so, so many um, balls in the air and I just need to basically spend a bit of time looking after me. Like what we said before, yeah, I need, yeah. to, need to take that time back. Bit of R&R. &R. Yeah. Um, I actually wanted to touch back on the anxiety when it comes to when it comes to males. You said most you see predominantly a lot of males, mm. um, and anxiety is a big one. Do you find there's a common theme that has caused that anxiety for males in particular? Oh, that's a good question. It's not necessarily there's a common theme, but with males in particular, what I've noticed is they've done nothing about it for so long that it's become just this thing they can't control, this massive beast. Whereas women with anxiety will typically talk about it a little bit earlier, go see, um, go seek health, help a little bit earlier. Mm. So it's a little bit more manageable. So with someone who's sort of there getting, getting in early, I might be able to work with them four sessions even sometimes a little bit more, maybe six sessions, and they've got the tools in their toolkit and they're just able to go and run with it. Whereas what I'm seeing with a lot of men is they've waited so long that they feel like they're just so hopeless or helpless that it takes a little bit of extra time to sort of get them to that space as well. But um, the other thing I suppose with men is they, they find it harder to define what that experience is. Yeah. So, you know, whatever we feel, whatever emotion we're experiencing, we'll have a way we experience it. So for example, when I feel joy, it sort of feels like sparks are flying inside and I feel it sort of in my chest and my shoulders. When I feel anger, it sort of, feel it in my throat and it feels like my throat's really tight and when I feel anxiety I feel it in my stomach and it's really sort of everything's tightened in my stomach so we'll all feel it in different ways and we'll all experience it in different ways a lot of the time with men they find it hard to explain or even figure out how they're experiencing it and I've had people tell me I, I don't experience it, it's just it's just a feeling. And I'll sort of say, well, you, you're right, it is a feeling. So, but there's we all experience that feeling. How do you experience joy, for example, um, and get, get people to sort of connect in with some of the easier, easier feelings and then go from there. But yeah, I, I suppose that's the big challenge with men is they'll say, oh, I'm anxious, but they're unable to define what that is. And the reason why you get them to define it and, and really understand it is the more you understand it, the easier it is to get rid of it. Do you find it comes yeah. mainly from like male anxiety? Well, obviously, overthinking is it come snowballs like from substance abuse or gambling or drinking or substance abuse do you find that's like a snowball effect mm. and then that's the biggest issue that becomes the issue but really it's like the the cart before the horse you know what i mean yeah it's an interesting question so with substance abuse i would say that um that is them that is someone self-soothing that anxiety yeah. 
rather than the substance abuse causes the anxiety. Yeah. So typically if someone's coming for anxiety, it's separate. Then maybe they'll smoke, but they're not I'm not really seeing a lot of people that are that are coming for anxiety and then we find out there's all this other stuff. I am seeing people that come for substance abuse and then finding out they're doing anxiety, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But um yeah, it's an interesting question actually. Yeah. It's funny, I was watching, um, have you heard of Kerwin Ray before? I want to say yes, but I can't picture him. Um, what is he, like it's a... It's Australian business coach. Australian yeah, business coach. Yeah. Yeah. Probably see his stuff all. He had the yeah. brain injuries and he came back from the moment. Yeah, I was yeah. looking at his Instagram the other day and um, I don't, you probably would have seen it and he was, um, he was getting these red black dots yeah. underneath his eyes mm. and he went and saw this guy, the name totally escaped me, um, but I think he does similar to sort of what you were doing and he really just kind of just sat and did like a consultation with him um, and really dug out his past and it was like a, the way that he got it out of him was something to do with his parents back in the day mm. the divorce and how he held so much anger towards that and he kind of got him to repeat a few things and um, it was amazing and then like over the next few days he seems just instantly went mm. and it was something to do I don't know something to do with the energy through the body or something like that that was holding yeah. on to this anger which was then causing these oh so he might have gone eyes. to like a kinesiologist or someone yeah I don't know what he was he's I think I've he's pretty well known he's actually, yeah I've seen it yeah he's actually um, he's repeated that one a few times yeah over. really he's interesting room. yeah room, yeah like, it was really interesting mm. uh, I might actually send you the link it was yeah, but it blew my mind actually. Blew my mind, but um, starts in your gut, you know. Like mm. obviously, you know, yeah, I mean, your body is just a reflection of what's going through your mind. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. And so many people come to you and they want you to fix their past, but the truth is, you can't fix the past because what's been has been, mm. and at some point you just have to be ready to sort of allow it to be, accept what what it is appreciate what you've learned from that yeah. and just let it go and move yeah. forward as well you know what actually so funny i feel like obviously PTing, you come across a lot of different clients and you know like, how do i say it? it's like some clients come to me and go this is my goal i'm like that's not your goal you can't do that because you're not willing to do that that makes mm. sense so like they're trying to live to a standard which is which they don't want mm. it's obviously a standard like they see on instagram or how they should look yeah. and yeah. i kind of go i'm like no you're not capable of that i and sometimes i go not because you couldn't do it because mm. you actually don't want to do it if that makes yeah. sense you actually don't you don't want to be like that and sometimes it's like necessarily being like <laughs> trying to get them to you know how do i say it? like they can't you can't change who you are mm. like I stopped PTing. I thought I stopped PTing um, because I felt I wasn't a PT mm. because like I used to like going out and having a beer. Yeah. I thought, fuck, I can't. Be, I can't help people because I like having a beer. Mm. I, I can't. I like can't help because I like having a beer and I can't help people <laughs> because you know I'm not living this model. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, well, I enjoy going out and having fun sometimes. Mm. So I'm not going to be that ideal. What you think a personal trainer is going to be? Yeah. But I train a lot harder than most people. Mm. So. Like a lot of people come to me and it's like, well, what can you do? What's a 10% you can do every single day mm. to make you be the best version yeah. that you can be? Um, so rewriting that narrative, like mm. you can't change the past. Maybe you weren't supposed to, but like maybe you, you are who you are. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
I find that's really interesting because most people don't want to do the work or mm. actually be the person they come to say they're going to be. And it's funny that you have that or had that moment of doubt around whether you are the right person to do this because I would argue that that makes you more qualified to do this because you can really understand your clients because your clients are going to want to go out and have a drink every now and then. Mm. And so it's about being able to build that connection and understand them, that person sitting there as well. So I think that's really important that you, yeah. you're you honest and you do that and you share that. But you're right, people don't want to do the work. And I think it's up to us to say, this is what it's going to take. Are you, are you here? Because if you're here, I'll be, um, you know, in the passenger passenger seat with you. You're still driving, but I'll be there along the way. But if you're not there and you're not willing to do that, then um, I'm hopping out of the car too. Yeah, sometimes yeah. it's like teach them different skills. Like you might get a lady that says I'm um, they they're overweight, for example, and they go I've got to stop eating cake because I'm mm. overweight, and they go well eating the cake isn't too much of it you know like one piece instead of two mm. pieces or you're going to be able to do other things to control that behaviour but they think the biggest issue is like I say oh no the issue isn't actually the issue that makes mm. sense and like do you find that's often the case yeah yeah so again people will come for example like I want to stop eating that cake and then you really need to understand okay so why why do you keep eating cake and again, it's that question, what does the cake do for you that you can't do for yourself? Yeah. yeah. And people honestly really struggle with, sometimes you will ask these questions and they will sound so bizarre coming out of your mouth, but people stru struggle to answer that and that's the point yeah. in which you it's can like, work with them. It's like some people go after a big day, have a beer. I'm like, what the fuck do you want mm. to be after you have a big day at work? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going to go to the gym and like, like, why do you have a beer? It's like, I'm relaxing me. Like, but what, what do you need relaxing from? It's yeah. like, oh, yeah, it's you know, a fulfillment. Yeah, like it's fucking work is pissing me off. Well, the issue is work's pissing you off, not that you should stop drinking the beer. It's and like, yeah. fix your work yeah. vibe. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And the amount of people that will say, oh, the beer relaxes me, the cigarette uh, relaxes me. So tell me all the ways you can find relaxation out of smoking, drinking, because there are a million other ways you can relax. You don't need beer to be relaxed. That's just your habit that's just yeah. your crutch that's your decision to to drink that it's not because it relaxes you it's because you do it and you like it this is kind of really strange because i <laughs> i stopped when i stopped pt for like a couple of years i still trained obviously but we've gone in the hospitality industry mm. and i was like for a couple of years it's like it's a stressful environment sometimes being working in hospitality people yelling you for three dollar coffee and you're mm. talking to f off yeah. and you can't um, and then my chefs like used to go around the back for a cigarette, mm. and that was the excuse they were smokers because yeah. they had to go for a cigarette. I'm like you know what, I'm gonna start having a cigarette. So I actually started, yeah. I actually started having like <laughs> like two cigarettes yeah. a day to go to the back <laughs> the shed. Like I feel better now. I can come back and feel good. But then I realised like, but then I was like, like I never got addicted to the cigarette. Mm. I ne never once got addicted to the cigarette. Definitely like six months. But I was like, what am I doing? Like yeah. why am I doing this? And I like. I uh, started so going for a walk or oh, actually said that I had some lunch like 10 minutes upstairs by myself and like I was like yeah. exact same thing you know sometimes it's just 
it's oh kind of funny. That's so common in hospitality, yeah. though. Yeah. Hey, yeah, you start people, smoking. Yeah, they go, oh, I can't have a break if I don't have a cigarette. Why can't you have a break? You're gonna take five minutes to have a cigarette. Take five minutes to go for a walk, or just sit by yourself. Yeah. Sometimes people just don't even like their own, you know, sitting on their own. They can't stand um, just being with themselves. Yeah, that's it. That's an issue too. Mm. Absolutely. And I mean, you were talking about kids. That is a big issue for for kids and adults is we can't just sit anymore. We have to fill up our time with something constantly. And that itself uh, creates anxiety. It's monkey brain. Yeah. Need something in our heads. Yeah. I reckon I have part of that. Yeah, oh, mate. Well, you <laughs> know what? Honest, this, yeah. yeah. But I told you this, like, mm-hmm. I love training. And it's like it was masking a lot of issues because... Often I did a self-mastery course for six months, mm. like a man's coach, Mike Campbell. Yeah. And we went through some stuff and I was like, I started thinking, he's like, well, you're obviously a monkey brand. Whenever I've got something like important or like something's worrying me, I'll go to the gym. Yeah. And I think and I think that's like good, but really it was actually really bad because it was mm. just like, it was self-medicating. Yeah. Yeah, it was just self-medicating. That's exactly what it was. And you think you're doing the right thing because you're going in training because it's healthy, mm. but mm. when you're masking something... Yeah. Um, it's like a lot of bodybuilders get it too. It's like they want to be bigger, stronger, faster, and mm. performance athletes. So they're masking a lot of issues they've had. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like the whole clean eating thing. If you need to clean eat everything and it becomes this all or nothing um, situation, then it's not healthy. It's just you're trying to find control. And what you're doing is you can find control through food. And then it becomes this eating disorder. Maybe it's overeating, maybe it's undereating, maybe it's the what you choose to eat. So you do, you see it a lot in this industry, your industry. But, um, but training can be, you know, meditation in motion. I think it was Arnold Schwarzenegger that says that's his meditation. Yeah. He goes in and he, he thinks about every moment of lifting a weight and that's meditation. That's really beautiful, but if you're going in and you just, as you said, try to deal with this monkey brain, then that that's when it's not so good. Yeah, it's like church. Yeah, training's yeah. like church. I'm, pray, I'm <laughs> praying for 45 minutes. I'm trying to pray around like <laughs> <laughs> the workout. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's it's good and bad, you know. Mm. Um, you see, like the health and fitness space, um, the pros and cons of being in it um, yeah. and being deep in it. And yeah. you know, see with like through ourselves, and I think that's a good thing about like you know, I, th- I think a lot about things, and it's like sometimes I can relate to a lot of my clients and how mm. what they're going through. Um, yeah, it's like I'm the test dummy, pretty much. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, good. It's it's nice to be a bit soulful. I think, um, yeah, I think the relationships you have with your clients are going to be really strong. So think that's a positive as we said earlier it's only if you overdo that as a strength that becomes mm, an issue definitely and tell us where you see yourself in a couple of years time yeah. you know, obviously you know you're quite busy heaps of balls in the air trying to smack them all but where's where do you want to take you know where's your vision for your business and your coaching business and what you want to do yeah so I mean at the moment I'm sort of balancing uh, two jobs, obviously my daughter and my family. Um, I've written a book that I'm 
almost there with, but it's sort of been put on the back burner because I've just got too many other things on. So in two years, I'd love to have that out. Yeah. Um, no, it'll, it'll come out next year. But um, I want to get to a place where, you know, I'm not after, I'm not after being hugely successful financially. I want to be well enough that I can then go and, and work with people who really need that support, who can't afford that support. So I'm working with a couple of people in Melbourne at the moment, just because obviously Melbourne's going through such a tough time. Yeah who I'm, you know, I'm doing that as volunteering because they need that help and they're not going to be able to afford to get it. So that's really where I see myself, having a business that's successful enough to allow me to do the other stuff as well. Yeah, it's kind of funny you define success and you went to financial. I know, and that you're saying it's not yeah. what you want, but often that's like a lot of people. what people need, mm. need to actually identify what success is to them, like their physical, emotional, mental state, you know, mm. um, and then re- reverse engineer that. Yeah. It's good that you know that, obviously. But everyone yeah. wants, everyone, most people think success is financial freedom. Yeah. Um, but you can be financially free with not having a huge amount of money and spending exactly. shit you don't want, you know what I mean? And the funny thing is around success, something I've learned is that our definition changes depending on what are our current needs so you know i have a little girl in daycare and daycare is costing us more than our mortgage is costing us by quite a lot more actually so all of a sudden money does become more important than than it did pre her so Hmm. so then success changes the definition yeah it's a really good point i think success is a is a funny word hey yeah, definitely. Yeah, it is. Um, we could probably talk for many, many hours, I think, but definitely we'll get you on there soon. Um, where can everyone find you, Beck? Yeah, sure. So I I work based in Manly, just yep. at the Royal Far West. Um, it's now called Whatso. Uh, I'm on Instagram as the Sharp Mind Coach. I'm on Facebook as the Sharp Mind Coach. Or you can just email me. I'm assuming you'll we'll add all that. pop yep. that yep. up. We'll but yeah, yep. there are all the places you can find me. Okay. Usually at the beach on a, on a Sunday or a weekend anyway. So, Relaxing. <laughs> yeah. Thank awesome. You so that was really good. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Yeah, I always really love good. chatting about these sorts of things. So it's fun to chat. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, inter- it's interesting stuff. Something that I know Mel's really passionate about. Mm. Um, something I'm still sort of learning day-to-day about but yeah maybe a a natural progression of your own job or your own career who knows yeah i think i actually think it it's it really yeah Mm. i could see miller doing stuff and something like this but because he is really passionate about this sort of stuff um then hurting people in the gym yeah (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah no awesome appreciate your time back much appreciate thanks so much it's awesome loved it very good all right Subscribe. <laughs> Ten subscribers. Yeah, make, sure no. <laughs> make sure you share this. <laughs> make sure you share this. Bassy, share it, yeah. please. Yeah, sure. Thank you. All right, over and out. All right, thanks, team.